It's the Lonnie Swain Show. I'm your host, Lonnie Swain. You can find me on Instagram at Lonnie Swain, L-O-N-I-S-W-A-I-N. The podcast is on Instagram as well, at Lonnie Swain Show. Although we celebrate women every month around here for the month of March, Women's History Month, we are tackling issues that specifically and directly pertain to women. So I thought it would be a great idea to have a woman whose podcast I love and am a huge fan of, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford. She is the host of Therapy for Black Girls. It's an online space dedicated to encouraging the mental wellness of black women and girls. So often the stigma surrounding mental health issues and therapy prevent black women from taking the step of seeking a therapist. So she developed the space to present mental health topics in a way that feels more accessible and relevant. She is a licensed psychologist in the state of Georgia. Her specialties include working with black women in both individual and couples counseling. Her primary areas of interest include breakup and divorce recovery, depression, work-life balance, relationship skills, and self-esteem improvement. She has a wealth of knowledge in working with undergraduate and graduate students in areas including procrastination, stress management, dissertation, thesis support, and career development. So I am so happy to have her on this podcast. She completed her bachelor's degree in psychology at Xavier University, Louisiana. She got a master's degree in vocational rehabilitation counseling at Arkansas State University and a PhD in counseling psychology at the University of Georgia. She has worked for the state of Wisconsin Department of Vocational Rehabilitation, as well as in the Counseling Centers of Virginia Commonwealth University, Georgia Southern University, the University of Georgia, Emory University, Oxford College, and Clark Atlanta University. So, Dr. Joy, what made you decide to start the podcast Therapy for Black Girls? Well, I'm somebody who listens to tons of podcasts. Um, So I used to have like a 50-minute commute both ways to work, and so it was like the perfect time to get caught up on all my podcast. So it felt like something that would be like a nice extension. I was already blogging at Therapy for Black Girls, but then it felt like the podcast would give me a way to kind of communicate information that it didn't feel like quite came across through blogging. And the reception has been amazing. How did you anticipate it would be received? I did not anticipate that at all. I mean, I I thought that people would like it, um, Mm -hmm. but I did not at all expect the way that it has taken off in the Mm -hmm. not even a year yet that I have been doing it. Because there's such a stigma in the Black community about therapy and counseling and the need for it. And, and so often in a lot of Black households, especially back in the day, it was like, you know, what goes on in this house stays in this house and we don't need to talk to anybody or talk to the pastor or things like that. How do you think you've been able to kind of welcome people into the space and get them out of that mindset? Yeah, I grew up hearing that same kind of stuff right? Like what goes on in this house stays in this Mm -hmm. house. It's funny how a lot of us are taught that same thing. But I think it has been able to kind of knock down some of those doors just by having very regular conversations with the other therapists and even the information that I share on the solo episodes. Um, My goal is to really like not have a whole bunch of jargon, but Mm -hmm. to talk about you know, all of these different kinds of topics that you could talk about in counseling that could really help you to be living a much better life, you know? So, you know, I always say, It isn't just about like when you're having panic attacks and depression. It's also about when you are not saying no enough or when you are doing too much people pleasing or not setting healthy boundaries. So I really wanted to be able to have all of those kinds of conversations so people could understand that you can use therapy for a variety of different reasons. 
Absolutely. And especially geared towards women, because I think that so oftentimes we carry the brunt of the weight in a lot of our relationships with, you know, whether it be at work, whether it be in the home, in our family dynamics and things like that. And a lot of times for women, we are each other's emotional support a lot of times. So I think that it's definitely been a great place for me to kind of get some conversation started with my my girlfriends and and other family members as well, just about therapy and various topics. So I really appreciate the platform. You're welcome. Now for Women's Month, one of the topics that I am discussing on my podcast is the Me Too movement, sexual harassment. It's a conversation that's been ongoing and I haven't heard you talk about it yet on your podcast. So I was really excited to get you on mine to talk about it. Um, A lot of times, there's this misconception about, you know, why did the woman wait so long to come forward? Why is she just now talking? I think that a lot of people, unless they have personally experienced some form of sexual harassment or even recognize that they experienced some form of sexual harassment, they don't understand the mental effects of it. So if you could speak to why maybe some people don't come forward and and what sexual harassment does to people emotionally. Yeah, I mean, well, if you just look at the way that people are received when they do come forward, is that anything people would want to like readily sign up for? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I mean, so the conversation very quickly turns away from like what happened and how did the perpetrator actually do something to you? And it turns to, well, what did you do to cause it? You Mm -hmm. know, what were you wearing and why were you at that place? And all of these questions that kind of cause you to believe that it was your fault, that you had some responsibility for this thing happening. Um, You know, so I think a lot of people um, don't want to come forward because of all of the scrutiny and the questioning about their own um, judgment and the decisions they made that make them feel as if it was their fault. Um, I also think that a lot of times people are in denial about the fact that they have been sexually harassed or sexually assaulted. You know, I've had this happen with clients and I've even seen conversations online um, where people don't even realize that they have been violated until someone else calls it out for them. You know, so I think sometimes we are just so accepting of certain behaviors or we think that this kind of just happens to everybody that we don't even realize that we've been violated. So I think some people are in denial or just don't even really know that they have been harassed or assaulted in that way. It's like we're so desensitized. I've had personal experiences that I'm going to talk about later on in the podcast. Um, But I think that when something happens, and especially it happens to you in front of other people and they don't react, then it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe I'm overreacting. Or you tell people about it and they laugh about it. Or when people seem to say, oh, you know, even sometimes people might say, oh, that's nothing. You know, when you tell them, oh, this person said this to me or this person did this to me. It's like, oh, yeah, that's nothing. You know, they're just an idiot or whatever. And they downplay it. So then you start to, I think, get into a pattern of downplaying things that happen to you and just take it as par for the course of, oh, that's just men being men or boys being boys or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I think desensitized is the perfect word because I think this has happened to so many of us, then 
it doesn't sometimes feel like a big deal, right? Like if you have been violated in a certain way and somebody shares a story with you that is not quite, you know, the same level of violation, then Mm -hmm. in some ways it may feel like, oh, that was nothing kind of compared to what I've been through, Mm -hmm. you know? So I do think that there also tends to be this kind of hierarchy of violations, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that doesn't really serve us well. Like a violation is a violation. It's never okay. Um, But I do think because it is so commonplace and there have been so many of these shared experiences that people will sometimes just be like, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. Right. And now I'm going to quote my mother and I guess I'll probably have to give her an opportunity to defend her statement. But she said that she thought that a lot of black women weren't a part of this conversation as far as sexual harassment and the Me Too movement because she suspects that it does not happen as much to black women. Mm, yeah, we will definitely have to <laughs> we'll definitely have to hear what mom has to say more in detail about that. I think it's more likely that black women are just not speaking up even more than other women. You know, because when we think about our history, especially in this country, there is even more reason to believe that you will not be believed or that people will suspect it's something that you did to cause you to be violated. Um so I definitely don't think that black women are less impacted. I think if anything, they are just even more silent. How would you advise your clients if they come to you and say, hey, this is something that's happened to me? Do you speak to them about speaking up publicly or um, in their workplace or things like that? Or how do you handle that type of situation? I think that all of that has to be a very personal decision, um, you know, because what one person decides will definitely not be the right decision for the next person. Um, And especially when something like this has happened, you know, the thing that has been violated is the person's ability to make their own choices, right? That has been taken away from them. Um, So definitely what you want to be very careful of in a therapy kind of a situation is taking choice away again. So you don't ever want it to come across as if you think that the person should do one thing or another. It really is about giving the person space to kind of decide how they would like to move forward and what kinds of things they think will be important for them to heal. What are some things that you think are important for someone to heal from something like this? So one of the very first things I think is really um, doing an assessment and examining like what kind of self-talk they have around this incident. So, you know, because there does tend to be like guilt and like, oh, I shouldn't have been there. I should have done X, Y, Z. So really helping them to kind of talk through all of these feelings and thoughts they're having related to the incident and to hopefully help them to realize, you know, this was some else's decision, there was likely not anything you could or could not have done that would have made a difference in this, right? Like that if somebody has made the decision that they're going to violate you, that that's their decision, not yours. So really examining some of that self-talk. I think journaling can be really helpful sometimes to get out some of those thoughts that maybe um, are kind of deep-rooted or to help you to make some connections between maybe like what has happened and other things that have happened. Because sometimes a new assault will kind of bring up feelings about other things that have happened. Um, You know, so really looking at those connections, I think can be really important and helping the person to really understand like what kind of support they're going to need. So, you know, if they decide that they don't want to like tell family and friends that something has happened, how can you get support, whether that be like an in-person kind of a support group or an online community, like what kinds of things do you feel like will be necessary for you to get the support that you need? 
um, you know, because sometimes you will have flashbacks of the incident or, you know, different kinds of things that will come up that you will need to talk with someone about if you're not in therapy. So really making sure that their support system is solid is also really important. Now, do you have any male clients and have you had any conversations with men about how they can be more sensitive to sexual harassment and make sure that they are not participating in any behavior that is offensive? Because I think that that's a big thing that a lot of men in conversations that I've had or overheard, they don't think a lot of things are sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my therapy practice is exclusively women, um, but I definitely have done like presentations for groups like different fraternities or student organizations like on college campuses um, where it is, you know, mixed gender. And it is very difficult conversations to have um, because what I have found is that people really don't have a grasp of consent. So they they don't really understand the nuance in that, you know, you, you really need to be kind of gauging for consent especially with a new partner, almost repeatedly, right? Like you need to kind of always be making sure that the person is on board with whatever you're initiating in terms of um, a new experience. And so I found that people really struggle with like understanding how to get consent and feeling like, oh, that'll mess up the mood or something like that. Um, You know, so really having some conversations with them about like things that they could do differently in their own life that would, you know, hopefully decrease the numbers of this that we're seeing. Or the the misconception that silence is consent, or would you say that's a misconception? If someone doesn't say, no, stop, is that consent? Absolutely. That is not consent. So consent needs to be verbalized. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what are some ways that family or friends can be supportive to someone that has experienced something like this? So I think um, trying not to, even though I feel like it is our natural inclination to want a whole bunch of information, um, but likely somebody who has had one of these experiences has kind of shared the story multiple times and can be really sensitive to continuously having to share this. So not asking a whole bunch of questions and really allowing that person to set the pace in terms of what information they share and being very very, very careful not to get into victim blaming. So asking questions like, why were you at that place? Or why didn't you tell us sooner? Or, you know, anything that could kind of insinuate that this person was responsible for this thing happening to them. How do you feel about the Me Too movement and people sharing their stories? And do you think that there's something, uh, a call to action that could be attached to that? Yeah, I mean, I'm very glad to see people feel comfortable sharing their information. I mean, it's your story to share. And so I think if you feel moved and feel like you want to kind of contribute your voice to sharing your story or doing something beyond just sharing your story, I think that's great. Um, I do worry, though, that people will feel pressured to share their story or feel like, oh, if I don't share my story, then what does that mean about me? Because I think anytime something picks up this kind of volume and like, you know, intensity, there can be like an internal or maybe even external pressure to kind of feel like you have to participate. But what I don't want to happen is for people to feel like they are any less a victim or that their story is not as impactful because they choose not to share it. It's your story. And if you don't want to share it, then you don't have to. And it doesn't mean that you're any less a part of this movement. Now, if someone wants to find you online, how do they get in touch with you or anything that you'd like to share with the listeners? 
Yeah, so um, you can definitely visit the website at therapyforblackgirls.com. I'm also pretty active on social media. So on Twitter, you can find me at therapy for the number four B girls. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at therapy for black girls. Thank you so very much for listening to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us. And of course, sharing is caring. So if you know someone you think might enjoy this podcast, please pass it along. Until next time, go where you are celebrated and appreciated, not just tolerated. Have a wonderful day. I'll talk to you soon.